welcome to the Music Challenge Podcast. This is Andrew. Uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight. Uh, this week we were saddened by the uh, passing of Edward Van Halen, uh, a true pioneer on the guitar, if there ever was one. And uh, we had a couple of uh, compadres who wanted to uh, jump on the mic right away and give you their first responses. So uh, what I'm about to play for you is a conversation between Kevin and Rob. Uh, they wanted to give you their first thoughts. So this is part one of our uh, Eddie Van Halen tribute. Um, part two will be just next week, and we will interview my brother, who uh, is, uh, he was in the fray of, of uh, Van Halen. He was in high school in the early 80s, so he's got lots of great stories, uh, even some visuals to share. It'll be really cool. So, but I wanted to bring you this conversation of uh, kind of uh, first impressions of Eddie Van Halen from uh, Kevin and Rob. Uh, so enjoy. I'll speak to you at the end. Bye. So, yeah, I got that. Um, I, I was scrolling, like, doom scrolling Twitter during work is kind of one of my hobbies. And uh, sure right. enough, the Legion of Doom struck uh, the music world today with... Uh, guitar god eddie van halen pass unreal so, so kevin was actually the first person to let me know and he's on top of this stuff typically um and i saw it and i was like I, like in disbelief knowing that this was coming because just kind of from rumors and stuff like that but it doesn't make it any easier um and uh it freaking just rocked me today i mean like I was like not productive I immediately put on Van Halen's first six records at work and I was like I don't care what anybody says we are listening to these six records and it's only you know they're only 28 minutes long but it's 28 minutes of pure freaking Southern California power dude I mean it's insane so the, the songs are amazing and you know I the just listening to the riffs listening to that guy reinvent an instrument in front Absolutely. of your very eyes and ears and just you know when you think about the guitar gods that everyone who's who inspired everyone who everyone wanted to sound like and who basically created an entire genre of guitars sound like him you know Absolutely. the names are few right there's you know there's Dwayne Allman there's Jimi Hendrix there's Clapton or and, right. you know, the blues guys that really <laughs> the Clapton tried to sound like, but Eddie Van right. Halen did stuff with the guitar that nobody else conceived of. And Absolutely. in that way, you know, he really belongs in the, uh, he belongs, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of guitarists, I think. And, and that sort of like virtuosic, like um, skill, I don't think had been able to be i mean and not to say but it was just like ridiculous accuracy in so proficient at his instrument and i don't th like the fact that they were just this arena rock band that would just sell out cities anywhere they'd go i mean a, a guy i i 
stay in touch with through work, but he's a great guitarist. He's a huge music fan and he's seen a ton of shows, dude. And he's like 15 years older than us, maybe 10 years older than us. And so he's seen some of the stuff that we obviously would love to have. And he was one of the early guys to text me and he said, RIP EVH. And then he sent a picture like at 70, late seventies, early eighties picture of him, like just in his getup. And uh, he said, you know, I saw him play before Black Sabbath. So this has to be like 78, 79, something like that. They're still opening for bands. And he said he came out and played Eruption and the whole place was like, oh my God, who the hell is this dude? <laughs> you know? And he said he just like ripped everybody's faces off. And he goes, all those big, like innovating, like groundbreaking guitarists, at least when I was younger, were from, seemed like they were from overseas. And then Eddie Van Halen came and we had him and it was like, oh yeah, like check this shit out. <laughs> it's true. All those guitar gods were English, right? I mean, right? Pete Townsend, uh, Eric Clapton, like all the, all, like, of, them. all of the suburban kids, like exactly. Jeff Beck, they were all looking at these English guitar gods, you know, uh, shit, you know? And then, uh, like you said, along comes this like shy, not to, uh, you know, really introverted kid right. who didn't talk a lot and then said things with his guitar that nobody had ever heard before in a Absolutely. way that nobody had ever heard it. And, and I think a lot of people just really appreciated the magic of that. So, and, and I have to say, I'm thankful Kevin and I spun this up in like no time. And I just had like, it's been racing through my head. I feel like, you know, something goes down in sports. You can go to sports radio and listen to people talk about it. Like I, you can, I guess you could do it on FM rock radio, but it's just going to be in between songs or whatever, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. I needed a release and Kevin's like, fuck dude, let's do it, man. Let's, let's record something. He was, and this is my experience with Eddie Van Halen is like so legendary to me and to all of us from our age, age range. But it was 1984 was one of the first vinyl records that I bought with my own money. And I, you know, we taught, we've talked about formative albums and stuff like that. And it didn't make my formative list because Def Leppard had introduced me to it, but they had taken, it was like the rock and roll scene was bouncing across the pond and it had bounced over here with Van Halen and like, and to go back on that. But anyways, Def Leppard introduced me to Van Halen, which is kind of a weird thing, but they're contemporaries, obviously. Um, yeah, and no, no slight on Def Leppard. I've discussed my love for Def Leppard, but Van Halen was another level. And well, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the thing that this did for me was it caused me to go back into the catalog. And it's funny that you mentioned 1984 is the album, because that was the first one that I was cosmically aware of. I'd say I was about 10 years old at the time. Gotcha. Right. And that album came out on new year's day i was did it uh, really yeah um little fun fact i was reading that today um that's one one of the best things is kind of seeing all this trivia come out and these little right. like historical detritus so to speak of uh, of their career the pictures and the little stories and that sort of thing but the interesting thing about 
that album to me and it's funny because i think this is where you and i might split off as is van halen connoisseurs sure. is that the the album after that to me might have been that 50, might have ended 51, up on one 50. of my formative yeah and um i think what it it just furthers the awesomeness that is eddie van halen because i took the time to listen to a few different uh just kind of different like the different eras of that band's career i even sure. watched uh i watched the video for the song tattoo today <laughs> you, you even i didn't even i was today years old when i learned that song existed but right you know there's a whatever it's a competent eddie van halen solo and right you know david the old david lee roth is kicking shit around in bell bottoms and stuff but right what that speaks to i think you know the fact that he was able to basically harness the world with that album right that 84 like that album came out and it right. captured the zeitgeist jump and then like panama was the panama. Song of the summer right like, hot for te- hot for teacher exactly all those I mean, videos i mean you know they had it, the perfect front man for it right absolutely and, to do with the production and storyline of each of those videos because they talked about him having a knack for music videos like figured out the whole arena rock scene and was selling shows out all over the country or all over the world but he also like had figured out the whole music video thing and obviously in 1984 that was a huge part of my life too so formative musically informative like video as well it's just yeah culturally too because right like i mean he made uh like all of that stuff that kind of you know that look that feel the edge to their music there was so much to it culturally that i think worked at that time and it was just a lot cooler than a lot of those other bands like van halen is almost like a tom petty in the sense that you know kind of a (laughs) unifier in that yeah, way, like a right. lot brings a lot, you know, a Van Halen concert would bring a lot of different looking people together. Absolutely. Right. Like very a Tom Petty a, concert would. Yeah. Very eclectic. Very right? eclectic. Yeah. So a wide kind of appeal of, you know, relatively um, a large group of people, but just the, the pyrotechnics that that guy put on, he, he transcended eras. So yeah, he, like he had those hits that were a lot of it were his, right? He introduced right. the keyboard stuff. And then to think that I he remember, took- do you remember speaking of, and not to interrupt you, but I want to make a point of this. I remember because my introduction to Van Halen was Diver Down in my grandparents' basement. My cousin Tommy played t- Diver Down on tape to me. And I was buying 1984 no matter what. My mom like ran the house music with an iron fist and she had to approve shit before I buy it. And there was a smoking angel baby on the cover of 1984. But when that 
when that keyboard came in, I remember the controversy, like, this is Van Halen. Like, why are you using keyboards? But it worked, dude. The Heschers hated it, right? Like, that's the thing. Because Van Halen was kind of like, they were, okay, if there's a line, right? Like, you know, the tough bands, you know, the dudes who are like in the Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Right, exactly. Like the Heschers, right? The guys who kind of introduced us to, you know, the the Judas Priest, right? Exactly. So there was a line, basically, right? That like, you know, Van Halen sat above it relatively comfortably, but not that comfortably. Right. And in, in much like, less comfortably after that keyboard was introduced. Oh, yeah, dude. In, and then in, I would say for some people, probably yourself included, the, the, uh, let's say the amplification of the keyboards and the addition of Sammy Hagar pushed them below that line for you. Agreed. I get that. I just have to counter with the fact, though, that like the summer of 1986, that album came out in the spring of 1986, right? And if you think yep. about what was com- what it was competing with, right? You could be the Bon Jovi crowd, you could be the Beastie Boys crowd, sure, or you could be the Van Halen crowd. And that's the thing, dude. Is right? I I you're exactly right and i you say that and it brings memories like rolling back and maybe it was a few summers after but i would hang out with my sister and her boyfriend and my best friend was their age so we would sit in the park and i told you i love van halen and i i somewhat despise van hagar and i'm just going to refer to that so i can refer to it that way so i can separate it but 5150 was a soundtrack of something that my sister and her friends and her yeah, boyfriend that entire summer. To. Yeah. Dude, I can I hear that song Summer Nights mm-hmm. and I think of being in Madison Meadows drinking yes. strows out of the back of a Cutlass Supreme dude. And I and if I have that's a not soft formative, song. I don't know what is. Absolutely. Because I, I specifically Absolutely. threw that song on today because of that guitar riff um, and, and what it meant to people our age, like our, that summer, basically, because like I said, that, that album came out at the end of May. I looked right. at it. Right. And so I looked it up. It came out at the end of May. It was great to reminisce on that time because like, if you think about it, so that was the crop of albums that summer in me, I was the little Hesher. So Metallica came sure. out. Uh, Master right. of Puppets came Master out that of spring. Came, and, right, right. That that was another formative album. So that was a Hell great crop. Yes. And then the year after that, 1987, that was the Def Leppard Hysteria slash right. Appetite for Destruction summer. Oh where, yeah, where that yeah. was ubiquitous, right? Um, right, and in so, in it was like GNR was bringing that freaking that kind of gritty, not yes. quite as shiny metal back to Southern California, and um. Weren't they from SoCal? They were from LA, right? 
yeah. Gina? Well, I mean, they yeah, they all kind of moved out there. Um, yeah, that was a like that was a great uh, biography, a Slash's autobiography. You should definitely read that. Uh, I sh- I should and I will. Yes, um, but I think. Um, yeah, you know, like Axel grew up in Indiana and moved out to LA, right. and all those guys. Kind so of did D. Out. So did DLR, dude. Well, he he was he was born in Bloomington, Indiana, and then moved to California when he was like a teenager or something. Well, and if you think about the fact that you know David Lee Roth, for whatever whatever reason, thought it was really about him, right? Sure. And Absolutely. he hired stunt guitarists specifically, right? His first lineup, it's funny you say that because I just read Billy about Billy Sheehan and Steve Vai, right? Yes, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, those like, are like, you couldn't hire two better, better guns players, right? right? Like, that's it. And right. I think, was it like Carmen Appisay or someone was a drummer? Like, was he a had a drummer? cop and a drummer, too. Like, oh, yeah. It might not have been, but it was, but it was a really good professional drummer. ass drummer, right? That was right. a great band, but it wasn't Van Halen. Nope. Mm-mm. Like, in the underrated vocal harmonies of Michael Anthony. Um, oh, dude. Right? I mean, people, people don't realize how important he was to that sound. Like I was just listening to their first record and I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up, but and I, I can't even think of the track. What is it? It's the one right before Jamie's crying. God damn. I'm drawing a blank. But anyways, the harmonies with Michael Anthony and DLR on that, I keep saying DLR, David Lee Roth are amazing dude i mean and that's what makes it so shiny and accessible were those harmonies i think and it was like uplifting music where and but it still fucking rocked dude like it had some serious balls you know the guitars i mean yeah the guitar like everyone looks to a Van Halen song for that guitar solo, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to be inventive. You know it's going to kind of sound in a certain range, but you're comfortable in that range. It's like that flannel shirt that just feels good, right? Absolutely. Certain, certain musicians, there's a sonic range and a tone to it that you love and are comfortable with. And, you know, a lot of us, our formative years were like, that was the soundtrack, right? Like looking for at sure. that guitar, like the red, black, and white uh that guitar of Frankenstein. Right. I, and I think of Frankenstein or Frankenstrat, and they talked about. Um, I'm the one is he, the song you're looking for. Yes, the dude. The, the, the harmonies in that tune, I'm the one, folks. You got to listen to that tune. And I'm sure you've all heard it, but I just listened to it on my headphones, and it's absolutely ridiculous, dude. <laughs> And this was this was the world's introduction to Van Halen, which is amazing. On top of that, anyways. Um, well, did you read that uh, that Lefsetz story I sent you from I did, Bob Lefsetz? Okay, well, you need to look at it because Bob Lefsetz is a music insider who basically okay. was out there during that time and 
what had happened was they were playing the clubs for a while out there and running with the devil was on the sunset strip. Correct. Yeah. That was there. And, uh, Gene Simmons of all people put money up for a demo. Correct. For right. The, yeah. And it's and, not, it, it's not like I knew that as a fact I would have, now I got to go back and read that article. Cause there's probably more facts that I don't know, but I knew Gene Simmons was part and parcel to, putting them on the map and that's not the first i would love to know who else because i know gene simmons has been like a great identifier of really good music well i'm i can't recommend enough reading the left sets letter just for musical stuff and he wrote sure. like i mean literally it was you know when i sent it to you it was probably less than an hour old at the time wow his fresh thoughts and it's basically he was there like he was part of a group of people that was talking about wondering whether or not they were ever going to break out because they were in the club circuit for a couple of years, you know, and until Ted Templeman, you know, polished up their, their act a little bit and got running with the devil, you know, but that song had been, that was kind of their big song at the time. And they let off with that. And then if you think about eruption being the second track on that first album, right? Like, you know, you think about, you know, we talked the other day about, you know, great, uh, three great, you know, leadoff hitters, right? Almost oh, in a yeah. baseball lineup, the three right. best tracks to lead off albums and how strong exactly. like Zeppelin's case was. And, you know, this first Van Halen album with Running With The Devil, Eruption, and You Really Got Me, um, pretty damn strong. It's in the team photo. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's definitely <laughs> in there, right? Like, Absolutely. it makes a case. It makes a it, case. I mean, that it, guitar solo it does. Um, inspired entire, I don't think hair metal would exist without Eruption. Absolutely. And that was almost like the, the, um, the caricature of Van Halen was, you know, and again, much love i've expressed my love for these bands but motley Crue, and then even then the poisons and and warrant and shit like that were almost like caricatures of van halen always had that like flashy guitarist nobody of course with the proficiency of of eddie van halen but you know some some good players um but then i i almost to go back i almost think that like Van Halen's take or their their Southern California kind of metal sound was their take on what the guys were doing over in London, just as their sound was their take on what the guys were doing in the Mississippi Delta. You know what I'm saying? It's like the True. natural progression almost. I didn't know that was a natural progression, but that's what I was thinking about today. I don't know. Well, and if you think about taking that a step further and what some of these other bands that we've talked about from Southern California, um, even some of that like pop punk stuff that... Absolutely. Right? That kind of shared some of that performative element with the lyrics and stuff. Even, you know, um, David Lee Roth inspired a lot of frontmen too, you know? And he was like the... I mean... It was almost like he, like Robert Plant punched out and DLR punched in or something. You know, they were like perfect front men, like the golden gods, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's it's a shame that on some level he killed the golden goose because really had they stayed together through that time, yep. um, who knows what they could have done. I, I mean, like I said, you know, they, they did come back even bigger with 5150 it was you know that 
um, from what it sounded like, um, basically after 1984 and Sammy joined the band, he got them kind of cleaned up in terms of their money and stuff and basically right. turned them, you know, into, into a machine. Right. Um, which is kind of what they needed to be at that point. Sure. They had warranted that, right? Selling everything right. out and absolutely having hit singles all the time. So, you know, they kind of imploded after that, but. And you made a, you made a good point in podcast previous saying that, and I just stuck out in my head today when I was thinking about their catalog, um, that, that they sold as many, if not more records with another lead singer. That's how proficient the music was and the, yeah. and the Van Halen brothers along with Michael Anthony. I that, mean, that, that was sounds, some, right. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. The, I mean, to me, that is, I mean, I don't, I can't think of another band in rock history that did that. Like if you think about, um, uh, Black Sabbath, but they didn't sell that much. As that's much the as thing. They, oh, I don't. They think. weren't. No, they weren't like a new machine. People weren't craving that, really. Right. Like, yeah, you you're know? right. You're right. No, man. Like you want Iron Man, you go to a Black Sabbath concert. Like you know, <laughs> right. you're not like you want Dio. Like you don't want Dio singing Sabbath songs. You want Dio right. singing Dio songs, man. Right. Holy diver! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That was partly my feeling on Sammy Hagar too. I get it. The band. I get it. Like it, that was. It, but that's the thing is that it was about the fucking music. It wasn't yeah. about who was singing the song. Like those songs on Fifty One Fifty. Listening to them today, some of them are epic cheese. You know, like right, right. But they, they, they were a to a teenager to a young adult like are you kidding me that shit was epic those dream that song dreams i mean yeah. it's gobbledygook but right. it appeals and the guitar solo and it rules and the keyboards are great like so i don't know they just those songs i i understand where the hatred would come from, but like to me, it was just more of a testament to the awesomeness of those three dudes playing music. Absolutely, that like you or I could have gotten uh, in a karaoke booth and done, right? Something, you know, even moderately competent, and it right. still would have sounded like a halfway good Van Halen tune. You know, you'd probably and, skip through it at least one word into our singing. <laughs> but um, the. So I don't know. It's it's as I think about fifty one fifty, it it comes kind of rushing back a little more. Um, but them being so successful with another with another vocalist just basically kicked sand in David Lee Roth's face because I think. Do you think he thought that they would implode after he left? Oh, so right, right, basically, right. according to the uh, kind of just paying attention to the online conversations and uh, reading Noel Monk's book, they all had this kind of tacit agreement that they weren't going to do side projects, right? Um, they just oh, is were, that what what generated this? His little EP that he did. Well, here's the deal. Yes, so Go dig ahead. this. So basically, I didn't know that. so because they had this tacit agreement that they weren't going to do side projects. Got you. Eddie Van Halen did the solo for Beat It. Yes. For a case of beer and dance lessons from Michael Jackson. Yeah. Okay. 
I did not so, know that. Yeah, and then basically David Lee Roth, you know, did uh, Eat Him and Smile, right? Um, that was that, the name no, of he, no, that was his full length after he officially left the band. But he did an EP with I'm Just a Gigolo. Right. And, okay. and there was like three more tunes on it. And I read that today, but didn't know that was the crux of them getting pissed at each other. Yeah, the, because, I mean, obviously, Eddie didn't, you know, he could have done anything, you know? Sure. I mean, think about that. Alex, too, right? Like, who yes. would want to, like, have that drum sound, you know? Right. So, I, 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 that's at least part of it, you know? But David Lee Roth, I think, on some level, I... I was prepared to make Eddie a bigger villain than he actually was. I think he was just kind sure. of a quiet guy who, right. you know, he, he didn't want all the trappings of stardom. He just wanted to like kind of fucking play guitar and people leave him alone. And right. so I think in previous episodes, I might've called him dumb as a bag of hair. I think he was probably more <laughs> na- naive as shit than anything else, you know? Right. Um, and I feel bad about <laughs> insulting the guy, um, especially a legend but, like that. But I think, but I, I think, think he was naive. Um, yeah. yeah. And he was really intelligent in some areas and extremely not in others. Like a lot of people who are top of the world at what they do, right? You know? Absolutely. You can um, have multiple intelligences. And like I said, for his, you know, his musical abilities were off the charts and not just guitar, right? Like he thought right. about music in a different way. And, you know, uh, I was also reading that, you know, he had had... Uh, hip replacement surgery as well what? did you know that yeah no. um, from just being on stage so much with guitars being on his feet yeah and, well and think about around. the people that have uh you know tom petty had hip trouble prince did as well yes you're right these was dudes probably that, the, was probably the start of his freaking um opiate. the oxy habits it's, right yeah right. exactly i mean that that can really get to, to the hell performers. yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I didn't know. James Brown have problems with his hips too. I, be, I mean, how could he not? That dude was like hardest working man in show business. So yeah, I, um, I, I'm going to highly recommend, um, to anyone who's listened to this, go on YouTube and look up a show Van Halen live in Pasadena, California. It's from December, 1977. It's one of the Ugh. best bootlegs of that area. It's called atomic punks. Um, there's like, three or four copies of it just straight it's about 45 minutes long and it just rips it's a decent recording um, right <laughs> the eruption is insane i mean it's live and he hits every single note and you're just yeah jaws on the ground um and the vocal harmonies are brilliant um it's really really good it's well recorded i mean it's for that era they're playing at some auditorium or something who knows you know that's some, amazing some barn but it's highly recommended and that other thing i'm going to recommend is reading the left sets letter um and it's um yes i got to read that now especially now that you told me about that whole the beginnings cuz i love that shit about music cuz you folks obviously he was know. there man he's an insider and you know he does a podcast as well um okay but the guy is um he's kind of brilliant to listen to um and his experience with Eddie and kind of his perspective on a lot of that stuff made me rethink some things I had originally thought as well. Sure. Um, you know, but we lost a, a legend today and it hurts. Absolute legend. Like somebody that changed the way that instrument was played when he picked it up and introduced his take on it to us. And, um, 
was rough, man. It sucks, but I'm glad I got to see him live a couple times. I don't know if you have, Kevin. I meant to mention that real quick before we wrap up. Did I see Van Halen? I want to say I did, but I'm honestly, I don't think I did. I think they may have been one of the bands that I missed because by the time, like, I mean, I was kind of not down for the, re, like all those reunion things. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, and I never got the opportunity to see them with Van Hagar. I don't think. Um, 2007's reunion. I'll tell you a quick story and I'll let y'all go. But um, me and three buddies went to that show, walking in, not thinking, hey, we're going to see Van Halen. And, you know, avoided stuff and whatever. We just wanted to go in, not know the set list, just like, all right, lay it on us. And they freaking killed. Um, we walked out and we were seeing people that we knew should have been there, but weren't sure if they were on the way out. Everyone was like, did you see that? <laughs> but we, we walked out legitimately and we're like, we just saw fucking Van Halen. And that was Wolfgang on bass too. Um, but they played everything you would want them to play. Um, Eddie was on freaking point, man. Just for no, no bullshit on the stage, just like a white stage and them just laying at the F down. It was great. Um, and then I saw them, they did it again, like four years later and it was brutal, brutal. Eddie of course was on point, but DLR was just no good, dude. Uh, no good. Yeah. I, I remember, see, and that's the thing that the stuff that kept me away were some of those <laughs> bad internet videos of, yeah. of them just kind of flubber lang and everything. And, you know, not really, not really bringing the A game. And I don't know, I guess I had also maybe a little bit mis more of a misinformed opinion about Eddie. I just kind of figured he was sloppy and like mm -hmm. kind of an asshole, you know, at that point in time. And I really wasn't craving any of that stuff by then because I felt like, sure. okay, at that point in time, your best shit was like 20 years ago now. <laughs> right. Then right 13 years ago your best shit was 20 years ago so like right. in that way it was a like i could i could understand why my brain would have just been like uninterested no. in a reunion at that point in time but i i highly regret not seeing him um you know it was like 150 dollars for shitty seats too you know like i don't remember of course it was, but it was probably ridiculous i did read today that it was a highly successful 75 plus date tour so they must have made some bank on that you know i mean it, yeah, like that's, you know, you call, like I call those things the cash grab tours because that's kind of what they are. That's what every dead. Absolutely. That's what every dead and company show is, you know, yep. every single fucking one. You're right, dude. <laughs> Lying in their pockets, right? The, you right. know, they're really the best place to see live music. I mean, sure. Right. You know, instead of the fucking basketball arenas. And, and obviously like we've done, we've done our part all of us have done our part in supporting those places and it's freaking heartbreaking to think that they're going to start. I mean, how can well, they you gotta keep themselves open? No. And you're exactly right. I mean, um, there's, it's clear that, um, you know, um, Congress is broken and, uh, you know, right. none of those venues are going to get any support. Um, right. This particular Congress, um, 
And that part of it sucks ass because totally. this is like the hideout and, you know, the empty bottle. Um, yep. You think about the great times that people have had in places like that. And Good God. And the, the people that have played there, you the know. bands that have cut their teeth, right? Like right. You know, some of the stuff that we've seen, um, like that, that, I think of that Earthless show, for example. Hell yeah, dude. Right? <laughs> oh, that's something. I've that's seen something. the... Uh, yeah, I've seen the there twice. Um, Jesus, dude. Yeah. I, and that's something that's burned into my brain for the rest of my life. When I think of live shows or somebody brings it up like, dude, I saw this awesome rock show. I'm like thinking to myself, probably not like the one I saw. <laughs> probably not. That's one of the biggest blessings of living in a big city, though. Absolutely. You know, the bands come here and, you know, we're incredibly fortunate. So hopefully, you know, that shit's not done forever. I don't know. I just, the, the idea of dudes, you know, four dudes rolling around the country in a fucking sprinter van, I just don't know if that's going to happen ever again. Right. Right. You know? um, going, to, going to a city, playing to 200 people. Packing up, going to another city, playing to 200 people, talking about super spreader events, dude. I mean, seriously. Kevin was kind enough to let me bend his ear about EVH and the loss today, which is pretty freaking awesome. Um, I'm, uh, I felt like I needed to talk about it too. You know, um, like I said, I, I, I felt bad that I was kind of on somewhat disparaging him during our discussion last time and wanted to clarify some of that stuff after I'd sought out a little greater understanding, you know? Um, right. But yeah, he had been sick and battling stuff for a while. And like you had said, I think it was kind of inevitable, you know, people knew totally. it was coming and, uh, right. yeah, I think it finally, you know, finally did and, and one more thing if you get a chance follow Wolfgang Van Halen on Twitter because he's a great follow but he said some really he was the one that kind of broke it or wrote something really nice about his old man if you read it it's really nice man and, and I'm hoping I'm thinking about him man and his family Indeed, indeed, they're grieving, and I think the best thing to do is just play some music, you know? Yeah. And rock out a little bit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So check out that bootleg from uh, Pasadena 77 and uh, fire up Atomic Punk and uh, let her rip. Right on.